you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open it with me to John chapter 14. Go ahead and find your place there in the Gospel of John. And while you're doing that, I want to uh, celebrate uh, this morning with our pastor pals. If you're not familiar with our pastor pal ministry, this is a ministry uh, for our elementary age children who are with us each Sunday in our time of worship. They have a folder. And uh, in that folder each Sunday, they write down the notes that are on the screen and things that the Lord is teaching them. Uh, they do that faithfully over a period of three months. Then we get to do something fun together. And today, uh, I had the privilege of taking 13 of them uh, to Stars and Strikes following the conclusion of our service. And uh, I'm going to wear them out in a game of bowling like I do every time. Uh, they're actually getting pretty good, so I'm worried that they may turn the tides on me this time and uh, it may be me who, uh, who gets beat today. All right, so I'm going to call their names and church, show your appreciation for all of their work and their effort when they come up here to receive uh, their folders back and their certificates. Mr. Charlie Carter. Good job, Charlie. Mr. Carter George. Thank you. You're welcome. Mr. Cody George. Good job, Carter. Mr. Gunnar Griffin. Ms. Savannah Harris. Good job, Gunner. Ms. Ellie Leonard. Ms. Maggie Leonard. Ms. Nora Loudermilk. Good job, Nora. Ms. Sally Loudermilk. Ms. Ella Malden. Miss Ellie Rogers. Miss Madison Rogers. Good job, Ellie. Miss Lily Swan. Good job, Lily. Miss Annie Wilson. And last but not least, Mr. Sawyer Wilson. the happiest Alabama fan on the planet this morning. <laughs> All right. Parents, if you will, as we uh, end our service this morning, uh, you can have them meet me back in the office and uh, we'll get them ready to go. And then you can uh, faithfully pick them up at, uh, I think, 2.30 this afternoon. All right. I love them, but I don't want to keep them. All right. So I'll give them back to you. All right. This morning, we're continuing on in our Christmas sermon series, Gifts from Above. Gifts from Above. Last week, we looked at the goodness of God as the foundation of the good gifts that he gives us. Now today, and going forward, Lord willing, in the series, we'll look more specifically at the good gifts that he does give. And this morning, we're going to look at perhaps the most undervalued, misunderstood, yet most important gift that God gives from above, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. One commentator said, of all the gifts given to mankind by God, there is none greater than the presence of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. But unfortunately, for many of us, and I would probably even say Baptists particularly, there's a lack of understanding the Holy Spirit. For many, the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the Trinity. Present, no doubt, but undervalued and unappreciated. 
But you need to know this morning that the Holy Spirit is essential to our faith. He is essential to our faith. So we must believe and strive to understand the person as well as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we fail to do so, according to the words of Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, we indict our faith, we dampen our worship, rob our church, empty the gospel of its beauty, and fail to glory in the resplendent majesty of the Trinity. I hope that won't be the case for us. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as God's good gift to us from above. Now, there are many places that we could go in Scripture to consider the Holy Spirit, but uh, the most profound teaching regarding the Holy Spirit comes to us from Jesus himself in the Gospel of John as he gives the upper room discourse, that last teaching that he gives to his apostles before he will be arrested and crucified. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus teaches them of the, gift that the Holy, of the gift of the Holy Spirit that will be given by the Father from above. And I want us to look at that this morning. We're going to start in John 14. We're going to read verses 16 and 17, then we'll skip down to verse 26, and then we'll look at John 15, 26, and then John 16, 7 through 11. So a few different passages, but these passages teach us some beautiful truths about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles open, hear God's Word this morning. John 14, beginning with verse 16. Hear the Word of God. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now go with me to verse 26, chapter 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now in chapter 15, John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now in John 16, verses 7 through 11. John 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we give our thanks to you for this, your holy word. And we do pray and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as your word goes forth. I pray that it would go in demonstration and power of the Spirit. But I pray also for the help of the Holy Spirit for those who are sitting before me. Father, may he give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and may he give them hearts that will be soft to believe and obey your word today. 
For Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we think about the gift of the Holy Spirit, I simply want to start by helping us understand why we need to think about the Holy Spirit. Again, for, for many of us, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Godhead. Uh, we know he's there, but he's always perhaps in the background of our minds, our thoughts, our faith. So why should we take time this morning to think about the Holy Spirit? Well, let me give you just a few reasons. These won't be on the screen behind me, so if you're taking notes, you may want to jot them down. But first of all, I think it's important that we consider the Holy Spirit this morning because it's through the Holy Spirit it's at that point at which the triune God becomes personal to us. It's through the Holy Spirit where God becomes personal to us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we know God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. When we think of God the Father, uh, we think of His glory, His majesty, that He is transcendent. Yes, He is imminent and that He is involved in the, the doings of this world. He is working all things out according to the counsel of His will. Uh, but the Father is transcendent. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is infinitely holy. And so we think of Him in that way, rightfully so. When we think about Jesus Christ, His Son, We've studied Mark's gospel recently, and we saw Christ coming to dwell with us, taking on the form and fashion of mankind, taking upon human flesh. But now, the Son has been removed by history. His earthly ministry has ended, and He has ascended back to the Father, where He is there continuing the ministry on our behalf. But it's through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, where God becomes personal to us. He is the actualizer, as one commentator described it, of, of our faith. He is actively working within us. And so it's important that we understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he is at work in our lives. So it's where God becomes personal to us. Secondly, I think it's important that we think about the Holy Spirit because at this point in redemptive history, the Holy Spirit is kind of center stage. The Holy Spirit's role is more prominent than at any other point. Now, let me be careful and clear with you here. I'm not denying that there's ongoing work by both the Father and the Son. The Father is at work in this world today. He will be in this, at work in this world tomorrow. The Son's ministry continues on. Even in His ascension, He continues ministering on our behalf. And I'm not in any way seeking to diminish the work that they are currently doing. But rather, I simply want you to understand that the more focused work at this point in the plan of redemption is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's kind of center stage at this moment. It's the Father who planned salvation in eternity past. It was the Son, Jesus Christ, who secured and accomplished our salvation through His earthly ministry. But it is now the Spirit who is working to apply that salvation to the lives of the lost and to work that salvation out in our sanctification. So at this point, in God's doings in this world, the Spirit of God seems to have the more focused work. We could also talk about His focused work in the work of the illumination of Scripture. God has given us His divine Word through the working of the Holy Spirit, and that same Spirit who gave us the Word works now so that we can understand that word. So I'm simply saying we need to know who the Holy Spirit is and what he is doing because he's doing a whole lot of work currently in our lives. But third, 
I think it's important that we think about the Holy Spirit because of how our current culture stresses the experiential. Our culture and society at large is all about experience. We want an experience. And because of that, there have been a lot of errors in regards to the Holy Spirit within the church. And because of those errors, many of us have shied away from the Holy Spirit entirely. But I would remind us again, that it is through the Holy Spirit that we know and sense God's presence. Millard Erickson, the Baptist theologian, in writing his section of pneumatology, the study of the Spirit, says, it is through the Holy Spirit that the Christian life is given a special tangibility. It is through the Holy Spirit that the Christian life is given a special tangibility. Again, it's that personal experience that we have with God through his Holy Spirit. So I think for these reasons, it's incredibly important that we consider this morning the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us from above. And as we do that, I want us to look back in our text this morning, primarily looking at John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I want to share with you four characteristics concerning the gift of the Holy Spirit. Four characteristics concerning the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number one, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is a divine gift. The Holy Spirit is a divine gift. Now let me clarify what I mean in that proposition and what I don't mean by that proposition. I do not mean that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a divine gift because it is a gift that simply or merely comes from God. Every gift that God gives to us is in some sense divine in its nature because God himself is divine. So I'm not classifying the gift of the Holy Spirit as a divine gift because it does come from God above, but rather what I hope to convey to you is the understanding that the Holy Spirit himself is divine. In that statement, I want you to understand the deity of the Holy Spirit. To say it even more succinctly, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. As much as God gave himself to us when he gave us Jesus Christ at Christmas to come and dwell among us, so he is also giving us himself when he gives the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Because the Holy Spirit is God. When we study scripture, when we read the passages about the Holy Spirit, we understand that he possesses all the characteristics of God. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the Spirit is omniscient. Psalm 139 tells us that he is omnipresent. Job 33, Psalm 104 tells us that he is omnipotent. Hebrews 9 tells us that he is eternal. Genesis 1 tells us that he is the creator. And on and on we could go. But I want you to remember this morning that the Holy Spirit is a divine gift because the Holy Spirit himself is God. We find this in several passages in Scripture, Trinitarian passages where it mentions Father, Son, and Spirit, but perhaps most clearly we see it in the Great Commission. That instruction that Jesus gave his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, listen to this, in the name, one name, but three persons in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the Great Commission teaches us that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, divine. 
in Acts chapter 5. And the book of Acts contains numerous, numerous references of the act of the Spirit in the early days of the church, operating in many ways. But in Acts 5, in that passage where Ananias and Sapphira have deceived uh, the early church, they've lied against God. Peter confronts them about that and says, why has Satan filled your heart, listen to this, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land that was sold? He said, did you not have the ability uh, as it remained in your possession to do what you desired? He says, but after it was sold, it was also at your disposal. So then he says, why is it that you have contrived or contrived this idea in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, did you catch that? The passage begins with Peter confronting them, saying, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? The passage ends with Peter saying to them, you haven't lied to man, but you lied to God. There's interchangeability there. They're both correct, and they're both correct because God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God as well. Now, Jesus stresses this for us in the text in a rather unique fashion. The divine essence of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, he clearly uh, references him as the Holy Spirit. But it's in the first passage, John 14, verse 16, where Jesus gives it to us in a, a very incredible way. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Another helper. That word another is something you probably need to take note of this morning. In the English language as well as in the Greek, there are two ways in which that can be understood. We know this. If I have a platter of cookies from Sam's before you, and I give you a chocolate chip cookie, and you take a bite or two or three of that, and then you say, I would like another one you could mean that you would like another chocolate chip cookie because you really like chocolate chip cookies, and that was a good chocolate chip cookie, so you want another one. Or you could mean, I want another one, in the essence that you don't want a chocolate chip cookie because you don't like chocolate chips. I don't know why you wouldn't like chocolate chips. I don't know what's going on in your heart to not like chocolate chips, but for some reason, people don't like chocolate chips. And so you could mean by that, I don't want another chocolate chip cookie. I want a peanut butter cookie instead. So another can be used in two distinct ways. And in the English language, we just use the word and kind of the context fills that in for us. Well, the Greek language uses two different words for another. One that means another of a different kind, another of the same kind. Another of the different kind is the Greek word heteros. Another of a different kind. Heteros. But that's not the word Jesus speaks here. That's not the word that John writes here. When Jesus says he will give you another, it's not heteros in the Greek, but it's alos. And it means another of the same kind. And so Jesus is telling them he's going to give you another who is just like me. As I am God, so he will be God. And because the Spirit is God, and the Spirit is always with us, what that then means is that wherever we go, God goes with us. This is why Jesus can say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is with His own. He is God. Now that's fundamental, but it's incredibly foundational. 
You need to know and always know that the Holy Spirit is as much God as God is God and the Son is God. This was settled early in the history of the church in one of the creeds that was penned, the Athanasian Creed. It says, we worship one God in Trinity, Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence, for there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. When God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, he gave us God. The Holy Spirit is divine. But secondly... Secondly, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is a forever gift. He is a forever gift. Jesus tells them, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another one just like me, to be with you forever. To be with you forever. And then Jesus adds to that, Verse 17, the end of that verse, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the forever gift that God gives to his children. He is with us forever because he is in us forever. Here's why this is so incredibly important. Jesus, having taken on the form and fashion of humankind, taking on flesh, was limited in his presence by his physical being. Jesus could only be at one place at one time. Now we know even in his post-resurrection appearances, there were some unique attributes of his glorified body, but bound by that body, if you will, he was limited in where he could be, when he could be. He couldn't be here and over there. However, through the gift of the Spirit, who is another like him, the Spirit can then be anywhere. This is why Jesus says to them, it is, of, uh, it is for your advantage that I go away. Now we hear that and we think, man, how in the world could that be? That's kind of startling. The broader context of what's happening here in this last discourse that Jesus gives, he spent the, the last Passover with them, he's instituted the Lord's Supper with them, and he's told them, I am going away. And where I'm going, you can't go. And John 14 begins with that familiar passage, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. What Jesus has shared with them has just rocked their world. It has floored them. Everything around them is coming, coming to pieces because Jesus is going to be leaving them and they can't understand. And as Jesus goes through this teaching moment with them, he gets there to John 16, verse 7, and he tells them, I tell you the truth, this is for your advantage. What? All they want to do is be with Jesus. All they want to do is have Jesus with them. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It is good for you that I go away. Now, this is completely contrary to even how we think, isn't it? Because a lot of times as we read the Bible, especially the Gospels, we think, man, if I could just be there. If I could just be there when Jesus called Lazarus out from the tomb and, and saw that miracle, if I could just be there when he opened the eyes of, of old blind Bartimaeus, if I could be there on that mountainside when he took a little snack pack and fed a multitude and filled their stomachs and had more left over, if I could, if I could just be there when he healed the lepers, if I could just have been there, if I could have just been there, man, it would have been so much better. I, I would be better. My faith would be stronger. But Jesus says, no. No. 
And I would remind you, think of all who were there in Jesus' ministry. Think of the multitudes that he preached to and ministered before, and yet many of them turned away from believing in him. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that it would have been a whole lot easier, a whole lot better had you been there. And Jesus now tells them, it's going to be better for you if I'm not there. How is that? Well, it's that way because when he goes, the Holy Spirit can then come. The Holy Spirit will be sent. And there's two reasons why it's advantageous of us for the sending of the Holy Spirit. First, because the Spirit is universal in its application. Again, Jesus couldn't be everywhere because of the confines of a physical, literal body. But not so with the Spirit. This is what Peter is preaching about on uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. All who will believe in Jesus Christ will receive the Spirit of God. It's universal. But perhaps more importantly, is that it's advantageous because as Jesus goes, the Spirit comes and it's internal. It's not merely universal. That's its scope, but it's internal, specifically, individually. The Spirit of Christ begins to indwell within us. Now here's something I think that you need to see. Because this is the major distinction between how the Spirit operated in the Old Testament versus how He is operative in the New Testament, or under the Old Covenant and with the New Covenant. And just at no extra charge, I would remind you, it wasn't as if the Holy Spirit suddenly showed up when the New Testament began. No, He's God. He's been there for all eternity. He was there. But in the Old Testament, what we read about so often is the Holy Spirit coming upon someone. An anointing of the Spirit to accomplish a specific purpose or task that the Lord has called them to. But when we get to the New Testament, what we see is that the Holy Spirit is now dwelling within someone. There's a move from the external to the internal. The Spirit of God takes up residence. I want you to see why that's the case. John 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, despite all your confusion, all your heartache, This is the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, don't miss what Jesus is saying here. We hear the language, go away. And we think, not necessarily wrong, we think he's he's going away to the Father. He's going back to heaven. I think that's certainly implied probably perhaps even included there, but I don't think that's the specific going away that Jesus has in mind in this moment. Because I would remind you where Jesus is at in his ministry. He's come to Jerusalem for a specific purpose, to go to a specific place. That place is the cross. And so Jesus is telling them, I will go away. Where I'm going, you cannot go. He is the one who must go to the cross. I will go away to the cross. You can't do that. I can. But if I go to the cross, if I fulfill the mission that the Father has for me, if I give my life, I shed my blood, I atone for sins, then the Holy Spirit will come and He can dwell within you. Don't miss this. This is the glory and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That through what He does for us in His life, death, and resurrection, through the atonement that He provides for our sins, by our faith in Him, our lives, our hearts are then so cleansed, so made new, that now the Spirit of God, who is God Himself, can come and dwell within us. 
What a gift. What a glorious truth. And as He dwells within us, He is with us forever. Never leaving us. Never forsaking us. The Holy Spirit is a forever gift. Number three, I want you to see this morning that the Holy Spirit is a beneficial gift. A beneficial gift. Jesus stresses this in the title that he gives him. It's not merely the Holy Spirit, but he's also the helper. The helper. And again, we hear it in the language that Jesus uses as he says, it is to your advantage. It's for your benefit, for your good, that I should go and he can then come. Now, when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the helper, you need to know that this is not like your toddler trying to help you clean up the house kind of help. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we've all had that kind of help, which really is no help at all. Like, you're not helping me do anything. You're just making it harder, but you, you think you're helping. That's not the kind of helper that the Holy Spirit is. He is a divine helper who does divine good in our lives. Now, we could probably spend the next two weeks, probably even more, trying to look at all the ways in which the Holy Spirit is a beneficial gift to us, ways He is operative in our lives. We're not going to do that, but I do want to give you some understanding. So I want to share with you five ways, very quickly, the Holy Spirit is at work in helping us. Number one, He gives us spiritual power. He gives us spiritual power. This is Acts 1.8. Jesus, again, before He ascends to heaven, speaking to His disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual power to accomplish God's spiritual work in our lives. Paul teaches us this in Romans, Romans chapter 8. If we set our minds on the things of the flesh, it's death. But if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it leads to life and peace. The Holy Spirit is operative in the life of the child of God to supply the spiritual unction that is needed to accomplish God's will and purposes for our lives. He gives power. That's a good help. It's a good help. Number two, he's our spiritual teacher. He's our spiritual teacher. Jesus mentions this in John 14, 26 that we read. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to help us to understand Scripture and to bring it forth to our minds so that we can apply it to our lives. Uh, Adrian Rogers, uh, the great statesman, pastor in um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee at Bellevue Baptist Church, great statesman among Southern Baptists for many years, used to say that what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And he was talking about what we put into our lives comes up out of our mouth. It comes, comes into our minds. Well, one of the things Scripture teaches us to do is to put God's Word into our hearts, into our lives, and then guess what? As that Word is put in, the Holy Spirit has an amazing way of bringing it back to our minds, to our thoughts, so that we can speak it, so that we can live it. He is teaching us the ways of God through the Word of God. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps us as an intercessor. As an intercessor. This is glorious to me. This is so encouraging to me. And it helps me because, contrary to what you may think, as someone who has given their life to vocational ministry, I struggle in prayer. I struggle in prayer. And it's not because I don't pray or I, I don't want to pray. No, I enjoy praying. I love praying. But I struggle in my praying a lot of times because I don't know how to pray. 
Or what do I pray for in this situation? Sometimes there are things that I just bring before the Lord, and I, I, God, I don't even know what you want me to pray about this or what needs to be done in this. I just don't know, and I struggle. And then sometimes there's 10,000 distractions when I go to pray. I'm one of the early church fathers who, in writing about prayer, he says, when I go to bow my knees in prayer before the Lord, it's suddenly as if 10,000 bumblebees begin to fly in my mind. You ever been there? Prayer sometimes is a struggle. But here's the good news. God has given us the gift from above of the Holy Spirit who helps us in that struggle. Paul says this in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Think about who just wrote that sentence. The Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian that has ever walked the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ himself. Paul says... We don't know what to pray for when we should, how we should, what we should. But he goes on. But, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep with words for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Some of you are walking through a hard place and in a hard season of life and you're wondering, man, what in the world do I do? And you don't even know how to pray or what to pray for. I've got good news from you. God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you don't know what to pray or how to pray, he is there interceding on your behalf. And as he prays for the saints of God, Paul says he always does so in accordance to the will of God. How encouraging is that today? The Holy Spirit is our intercessor before God above. Number four, he's our comforter. He's our comforter. Uh, If you're reading from a different translation than I this morning, different than the ESV, it may, instead of saying helper, have said comforter or counselor or advocate. The idea is kind of the same. The Holy Spirit is there on our behalf. And as such, he provides hope for the Christian life. He comforts us and encourages us as we go through this pilgrimage. Paul again, Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What's your hope tank at this morning? Some of you are probably running on fumes. Some of you may be a quarter full. Some of you may be bone dry. Hope is the oxygen of the soul. You lose hope and your soul will suffocate spiritually. But I've got good news for you. You don't have to run out of hope. Because God has plugged in a source of hope that now dwells within you. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the encourager. So that you may abound in hope today. But then number five. The Holy Spirit is a magnifier. A magnifier. They laughed at me in the first service. If you feel obligated to do the same, that's okay. I can take it. There are times now that I have to wear reading glasses when I open a book. I'm learning the importance of having a good magnifier nearby. Tell me if you've ever done this, pulled that smartphone out, took a picture of something, and then zoomed in on it really good so you could see the fine print, right? So you can laugh at me, but just know you're laughing at yourself, laughing at yourself as well. Well, the Holy Spirit works as a great magnifier in our life, albeit in a different function. Jesus tells us in our text in John 15, 26, when he, the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, comes, 
the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is perhaps the the greatest ministry of the Holy Spirit. He seeks to make Jesus shine. He seeks to make Jesus magnificent. He seeks to put our thoughts, our affections on Jesus over and over and over and over again. Yes, the Holy Spirit may be center stage in the operation of the plan of redemption at this, po- at this moment in history, but the Holy Spirit is working to make sure that Jesus stays in the center of the spotlight. His ministry is to simply show us Jesus over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that as we see Jesus over and over and over and over again, in the pages of Scripture, at work in our lives, and the grace in our lives, and the display of the saints within the church. As we behold Jesus over and over again, as we see His glory, our lives are transformed. You want change to happen in your life? I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions change that's coming up. I'm not talking about trying to lose the five pounds that we put on at Thanksgiving. That kind of chapter. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about true, lasting change. Transformational change. You know how it comes about? When you get a glimpse of Jesus. You see Jesus, and he changes everything. And God has given us the Holy Spirit that we might see Jesus again, and again, and again, and again. What a gift. Finally, number four this morning. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is an exclusive gift. He is an exclusive gift. I thought things were a little different this year with Black Friday. I didn't quite catch all the fanfare that's usually out there swirling and going about. But I'm sure some of you still were up early, out shopping, You'd perused all the sales papers. You'd scrolled online at all the different ads. And no doubt in that, and continuing through this this Christmas season, this shopping season, you'll see these ads. This is an exclusive offer. This is an exclusive deal. What they mean to convey to you is that you can only get it here. You can only get this deal if you come to this store on this day during these hours. It's exclusive. It only comes this way. Well, you need to know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is an exclusive offer. Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 17, that the world cannot receive him. You need to know that this gift that we've looked at this morning in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is given only to those who place faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In Acts 2, as Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he stood up and proclaimed, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is only given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. These glorious good things that we've looked at about the Holy Spirit this morning, they're only for those who know Christ as Lord and Savior. So I wonder, is that you today? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the blessing of knowing that the Spirit of God now dwells within you forever? 
Have you received the gift of knowing that you have an eternal comforter, helper, advocate? That you have the, the Spirit of Christ with you always? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I don't know if I have that gift. Maybe this morning you're here and as we've preached about the Holy Spirit this morning, He is at work in you in a different way. You see, in John 16, that last passage that we read in verses 8 through 11, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will operate in this fashion as well. He will come to bring conviction. Conviction of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Conviction that you are a sinner before a righteous and holy God. And as such, you stand in judgment before Him. You see, the Holy Spirit is, is operative in the lives of the lost to, to show them that they are, in fact, sinners who are in need of a Savior. And the good news of the gospel is that if He has shown that to you today, you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from sin and self, surrender to Him in repentance and faith. You will be saved and you will receive this glorious gift from above, the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. I can think of no greater gift that you could ever receive. So today, if you're lost, if you stand in need of Jesus as your Savior, and that, that thought in your mind right now, that thumping in your chest, well, that may very well be the Holy Spirit doing business with you. You need Him. You need Him. Today, Right now, call upon Him and be saved. If that's you today, would you do that? Would you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Receive the gift of salvation and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray. In a moment, we'll stand, we'll sing. I'll be standing here at the front. You can come and Share that perhaps the Lord is working in your heart. We would love to talk with you about that. Maybe you've got questions. We would love to answer them. You can also take the back of that decision card on the pew, front, the pew back in front of you and, and fill that out and leave that with us in a, a collection box today. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you need Jesus today, don't ignore that. Don't push that off. Respond today. By trusting in Jesus for salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the great and glorious gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for a Savior who went to the cross so that the Spirit of Christ may come and dwell within us. Father, I pray that as your people, we would not neglect this tremendous gift but that we would set our minds on the things of the Spirit in order that we may live faithfully for you. But Father, I pray today most of all for perhaps the one or many who are here this morning. And right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to their heart, showing them their sin, letting them know that they need a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Father, I pray today, O oh Lord, that they would come to Him and be saved. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would work as only you can. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.